do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you seriously awesome people out there, the disruptors, the creatives, the anti-status quoers, the uh, the CEOs, the you know hustlers, as I always say to you guys, musicians, producers, pretty much I always say anybody that's just wanting to you know carve their own path, do their own thing, you're probably often misunderstood. Uh, world probably looks at you like you're crazy or why would you do that? That'll never work and a million other things. But, you know, you may not be understood there, but you're understood here and you're understood by my guests. You're understood by all of us because we're all the same way. We don't do anything conventional. We're never taking conventional paths because um, that's not really what we're here to do. Uh, and I just, I appreciate each and every one of you guys tuning in for my day one people. I really, really appreciate you guys. And for all the new people who've been tuning in lately, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, first of all, I'm Matt Gottesman. So thank you. It's nice to meet you guys. You can follow along at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. Uh, and of course, uh, those that know you can DM me text uh, right on my wall. I reply to every single one of them I have for nearly a decade, whether there or, um, at HDF magazine where, you know, we, that's the content where it all started, uh, with the con, uh, the intersection of creativity, entrepreneurship and culture. So you guys, you can find me there. No problem. I appreciate all the feedback and the ratings and the reviews. I'm going to never stop asking you to do them. Thank you guys. And also, um, you know, for anybody that's new, uh, a little bit about the, the background of the show, I always say we don't glamorize or glorify and success. We're just, it's, I think it's massively glorified and glamorized in media and success is a very arbitrary word. And my guest and I were just talking about this offline. And that's the fact that success is really divine defined by the individual, you it's whatever you want it to be. And I think once we start removing metrics and, um, other people's defining, uh, or definition of, you know, metrics and titles and all these things, you'll come to find that like you'll move more to the tune of what works for you. That is success in my opinion. And so um, I have guests that come on every week and we talk about, you know, what's happening in real time versus like that end success. Like what are they learning along the way? And it doesn't matter if it's their first venture, their 50th venture, their third, um, because you're constantly a student of the game, right? Of life and in business and in creativity. So we talk about these things every single week. This week is no different. I have two really, really great guests who are uh, joining me both, uh, you know, uh, via Zoom. And I'm going to have that video as well. And we're going to be talking about venture capital, startup world, crypto, uh, you know, some, some of these recurring themes that you're starting to see over the last few episodes. Um, mostly because I, I'm really wanting you guys to hear a lot more about creator economics. Many of you guys that are, uh, following and subscribing and listening are really into, uh, you know, creative culture, your content creators, or you're, you know, you're online and you're, you're bringing some form of a business or brand, uh, you know, to the public. We're moving very fast into a new world. And so, you know, we're going to be talking about that plus, you know, 
how to think through some of the parts of a startup. Uh, and I'm very lean startup, iterative style. We've talked about that before. And, you know, venture capital, uh, you hear it all the time, but we're going to hear from people who are in it, uh, who've been in it. And, uh, you know, we're going to have an open dialogue about that. And so I've got Rodney Yesup and I've got his brother Stan as well on. And, you know, um, the, Rodney started a luxury interior design company called Luxtrim uh, about first year of uni and did it really, really well. Started angel investing at 19 when his friend dropped out of uni to start one of the first decentralized financial applications in blockchain. Don't worry, we're going to talk about this stuff. So, <laughs> so you guys, and, you know, decentralizes a lot of what's going on. You guys are seeing me post about this quite a bit. So, uh, and it eventually pivoted into a sports betting exchange called sportx.bet and started a crypto angel fund to invest uh, uh, him and his brother's uh, money into crypto. Moved to Korea and got close with the Icon blockchain team and was going to start an accelerator for them in Toronto before their token price fell uh, too low for it. Focused on the apparel manufacturing world after all capital was deployed from their fund. Joined AngelList venture team and worked with several goats over there. And if you know AngelList, there's a few. Uh, and then quit to join his roommate's um, YC Health Insurance um, startup leading operations and regulatory processes as a 23-year-old Canadian. Quit to join a $150 million crypto venture fund, uh, which we can't share all the details right now, but you know it's coming. So if you stay tuned and you follow him along on Insta, and we'll get to all of that later. Um, but it'll be announced in a couple of weeks or at the time of the launching of this. Um, what's up, guys? I appreciate having both of you here. Thanks for having us. Thank, yeah, thanks a lot for bringing us on. We're super excited to chat about um, all sorts of different stuff. Um, yeah, definitely resonate a lot with the fact that, you know, success and things like that are very glamorized and um, it can be confusing to a lot of people um, when they're trying to build a ladder to the place that they want to get to. Um, and they don't understand, I guess, how you can take steps towards, you know, getting towards a goal instead of just like thinking about the goal as the be all end all. Um, uniform like goal uh, that you know was really developed by media and really not unique to the kind of person that is behind that. So yeah, very excited to chat. Yeah, I I know you're gonna go on a tear, and and I want you. Uh, we'll 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 talk first about your guys' you know journey. Um, need you can take a turn on that. But what I, I what I love is that because you're in the crux of where the startups are happening and in VC, so you see it probably all the time. And, you know, you see everything from unrealistic expectations to just truly admirable creators and creatives that are like, look, I got this thing. It's scaling. I did it all like this. I, I worked with the customers like directly or the intended, you know, user and and then everybody in between. <laughs> so I can only imagine like, you know, some of the unrealistic expectations that probably you've seen. But um, but let's let's first start with uh, Ronnie. We'll start with you background you know um how do we get to here and if it intertwines with you know with stan cool and then stan can go as well and then we'll go from there sweet yeah sounds good um yeah i guess uh thinking about where to start um a, a little bit about uh, me and my brother's background so uh we were born in like ukraine uh you know uh my parents grew up in the soviet union my dad's like about 70 something years old now so um very old family and um you know, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, my parents were entrepreneurs and always uh, were looking to start businesses and things like that. Um, and yeah, they failed and uh, succeeded several times and failed and succeeded. In Ukraine, I don't know if you know post-collapse, but banks like continuously shut down and just like took all of the deposited money. Um, and so, um, yeah, we were raised by parents who were pretty hardened uh, entrepreneurs. They're not like, you know, the types of entrepreneurs you hear about today. 
Um, but um, yeah, we moved to Canada. We weren't, we weren't very wealthy. Uh, and uh, over time, I think like maybe about 10 years ago, they started, you know, being successful with their business as well. Um, and so me and my brother were always entrepreneurial minded uh, from the beginning. And ever since I was a kid, I knew that I wanted to start businesses and go into business. Um, but yeah, like, so um, I guess after high school, me and my brother got into uh, the best business school in Canada. It's called Ivy. Um, uh, and yeah, in first year, we started a luxury interior design company together because we were you know, thinking about ways we can start businesses now that we're learning about business. And uh, it involved uh, basically driving two hours every weekend back and forth from uh, this town called London, Ontario in Canada to uh, Toronto to open up shop uh, every weekend and try to make some sales of luxury interior design products. These are like neoclassical Parisian moldings. Um, and I, I can chat about like how we got into that later if you like, but just to keep, just to keep this as like a quick summary, we, we ended up doing that. We, uh, made a couple million dollars. Um, and yeah, in third year, my friend dropped out of school to start a DeFi, uh, application. It was called CEX. It was like, um, uh, credit default swaps on Ethereum, which the world was not ready for in 2017, 2018. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, uh, I've been into crypto since 2017 as a result, um, I, uh, yeah, I worked with like, uh, some of the people at the icon team to, we were going to launch an accelerator in Toronto, but that, uh, didn't end up working out. So as you mentioned, we, we ended up, um, you know, doing some other stuff instead. So me and my brother, we ended up pivoting into the world of apparel manufacturing and, you know, my parents, while they, uh, you know, were in the apparel manufacturing world, manufacturing socks for brands like Roots Canada and like, um, OVO. Uh, they'd never have done sales in their life because uh, their whole success was, you know, from one client ended up uh, that ended up being successful. So yeah, we worked in, uh, you know, selling uh, apparel manufacturing to brands and things like that. Uh, but um, we realized, you know, we're both focusing on the same world right now and it'd be pretty efficient if, you know, he could do one thing and I could do a completely different thing. So that's where our paths kind of split. I ended up joining Angelist's venture team. Um, and uh, yeah, there I worked, uh, for about nine months in San Francisco, which was pretty insane. Um, during my time there, I ended up like doing, uh, I think like three times more deals than anyone has done before I joined uh, at once. So I was, uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge operator. I love being efficient. I like grew up playing like tons of video games. I've over one year of game time played in things like World of Warcraft, like Starcraft. So I just like love like maximizing my APM. <laughs> mm. It's kind of nerdy. But yeah, from there, I ended up like um, leaving Angelus to join my roommates, uh, YC Health Insurance Company. It's called Angle Health. Um, yeah, they're in the middle of another fundraise. So it's like, it'll be announced shortly, but it's a quite a valuable company these days. Um, and yeah, I ended up, uh, quitting that after I think like five, five months or so, uh, because while I loved startups and that's why I got into it, I wasn't, you know, exactly super passionate about health insurance within the United States, uh, particularly. And yeah, the way that the system works there, it's, uh, pretty warped, um, from, uh, you know, a Canadian perspective. And so yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the future that I wanted to live in. And so I ended up quitting and yep, these days I work at a very large venture capital fund. That's incredible. And by the way, uh, when, when you're saying, um, about operational efficiency and stuff like that, I mean, look, that's where the life is made. That's where your freedom, because you learn about time. That's where the money is made. <laughs> you know, that's where yeah. like things get done and executed. So uh, I, you know, it took me until a few years later to like really, really honor, respect that. And like, now I won't do anything without a system. I'm like, nope, if it doesn't have a system, I won't do it. <laughs> so, yeah, I think system design is like step one to an efficient process. So I, I totally agree with that. Amen. So uh, Rodney, I mean, uh, Stan, what would you, anything you would want to add to that? 
so I guess I'll I'll talk about where our paths kind of diverge yeah. and where I headed. Um, so yeah, like Ronnie mentioned, our parents have a socks manufacturing business. And uh, basically, to put it mildly, like things are, you know, since they've been doing this for like more than 10 years, uh, like there are, let's say, problems at the factory that like have not evolved properly to like basically the operations are still very like archaic and stuff like that. And we have our own uh, people issues and there's basically a lot that needs to be fixed. And so uh, taking like a long-term perspective, I don't want to put my parents in the situation where they basically have a whole mess of things. And at some point they would have to like either shut down the factory or try to solve everything and then sell the business or something like that. And so I just, I kind of took the duty uh, to like fix everything, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And I guess along with that, the first, um, the first mission was uh, to try to increase our sales so that we have more cushion to then uh, improve operations and stuff like that. And so for the, since I would say since like two years ago or so um, for the last uh, for the first year of those two years ago, I was focusing on uh, like the private label side of the business. So basically creating uh, clothing or creating socks specifically for brands, um, like custom socks for brands. And um, yeah, and so what I found fairly quickly was that um, a lot of these big brands that we really wanted to work with, um, so our factory makes really good quality socks. Um, but one of the main issues that I found was that uh, a lot of, uh, so a lot of these brands, they are really just looking for the cheapest product that they can find. And what I realized this year, when we were talking to a couple of really uh, big brands, such as Kylie and Kendall mm -hmm. and uh, a brand called uh, Nordic Socks, which for us, that would have been like, if we got that contract, that would have been our biggest client to date. Mm. So that would have been really good. But and and it's it's really crazy the way these things line up for me is that um, like this brand, uh, if you look through their comments on like their Instagram, basically all they have so many negative comments saying like, first of all, there's no wool percentage in these socks, which is what people expect from Nordic socks. Second of all, like there's inconsistencies in the product quality and the sizing and stuff like that. Uh, third, like it's basically drop shipped, which means that from China, which means that like there's a really long uh, shipping and everything like that. And so like I'm looking at this and thinking, you know, we have the perfect solution for this company. We make really good socks. They're sustainable. They're made in Europe, which resonates with their target demographic. And so I'm thinking, you know, like, obviously these guys are going to want to work with us, but no, like when it all gets down to it, they would rather go with uh, let's say 30% lower cost uh, product offering coming from China rather than to solve all of these kind of existential problems for their business. And yeah, so it, like that, that's one angle. And another story that um, kind of highlights this is working with uh, Kylie and Kendall, the brand, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, Kylie and Kendall, they um, outsource the whole project to like a retail agency. 
and the retail agency outsources the buying component to a buying agency. And then that buying agency goes and searches for manufacturers. And when looking deeper into this, I basically understand now that at each step of that ladder, like there are big commissions being taken. Yep. There are like basically 20% cuts happening. And, and um, you know, we made amazing samples for them, like probably better than anything they'd be able to find, you know. And, and then the same thing happened. They basically said, you know what, you guys have make, you guys make really good samples, but we're going to have to go with China. We can't actually afford to pay an extra 30% or so. Okay, so that kind of uh, demonstrates some of the issues I've been encountering. And um, so some more background about the business. We still operate at a relatively low utilization. Like maybe we utilize maybe like 30% of the total uh, capacity that we can produce in a year. And, you know, that also leads to higher costs in general because there's no uh, economies of scale. And so what I've been working on uh, is trying to obviously get us more sales so that we increase our capacity, which will then allow us to drop our costs more uh, and then become more competitive, uh, which ultimately I think can make us one of the most attractive manufacturing options uh, in the world. Hopefully, what's what's the what's the name of that business? So the 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 fact the socks factory it's called Longcame. Okay. Uh, if you want, you can check it out longcame.com. Uh, basically, I I made the site too, which goes into a lot of other things I'm really interested in, like web design, brand design. And now also leading me into like apparel design, fashion design. Um, I guess we'll talk about that. Yes, we will. Also. <laughs> <laughs> no, and the reason why is because I wanted everybody that's listening to like get rid of the middlemen and go right to you. Yes. I preach this all <laughs> the time because there's there are these these people in the middle who was like, oh, well, yeah, and I get it, I get it, I get um, if they've got a resource network and they're of high quality and they deliver and they're problem solvers. Most aren't. They're just like, oh yeah, no, I'm just gonna set you up, I'm gonna take my commission and that person's gonna take their commission and that person's gonna take their commission. I'm like, you all are like screwing each other, like, <laughs> you know, or, yeah, or, or, the, or the intended client. And I'm like, go to the source, right? Just go to the source yeah. or, or go have a good like, intermediary that's constantly dialed in with all of the relationships or something like that. And then, and they're always taking care of you strategically. So that's why I wanted the name, you know, and I, I'm sitting here listening like to what you're saying. And it's so funny that people would take a, you know, they know I want 30% less cost. I'm like, or, or higher quality, longer retention and a better reputation which would make you more profitable in the long game <laughs> if they yeah. just thought that way versus like everybody's always for that quick cash grab and at the cost of quality, which you saw what happened with, you know, like you were saying Nordic online, like, oh my God. Yeah. And, and you know, the thing is like the manufacturers like in apparel, a lot of people don't know, but we actually like don't make that much money at all. Um, like for like an average pair of socks that retails for like, you know, $15 a pair or $20 a pair like luxury the, market yeah in the luxury sock manufacturing market like we like as a manufacturer we make maybe a dollar fifty per pair or like maybe two dollars per pair and that's the cost of the product that you're buying you know um 
Whereas, you know, the, the apparel brand takes like the majority of the margin, like 80, 85%. But at the same time, you know, the people buying from high end luxury brands expect high quality socks, but um, for some reason, you know, their needs aren't met, even though we can provide that at like such a cheap price relative to the price that they're willing to pay. And so that is why like Stan is now looking into starting like, you know, his own apparel brands. Cause um, we think people should get high quality apparel and we can make it. And um, if they're not able to get it from the people that they trust right now, then maybe that's just another, uh, you know, boundary or barrier that we're going to have to hop over and figure out on our end. So people can get better products. Oh, we're definitely going to have fun together. Cause I, <laughs> cause I, so I, I do want to tie uh, some apparel, like uh, one-off pieces at a time and incorporate NFTs in the process. <laughs> so, because yeah, man, for sure. Cause why not? Why not? Like why not have the audience? Well, you know, I got this incredible loyal audience, and it's like having them be a part of the process and have them feel like, you know, hey, you can also own part of the design. Go for it. Like you know what I mean? Like I don't even you know, or however you want to do with like an NFT meets a physical product. But we'll talk about that. Um, for sure, man. We'll throw MOQs out the door, man. Right? Any any quantity you want. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, you know, so. I know everyone's like listening to like listen to these guys. They're <laughs> like going on a tear on a million different things. But like, you know, we can pick any really, you know, place that we want to start, you know, um, you know, kind of going even deeper into um and we can go back and forth between, you know, uh, because clearly, you know, it's still startup mentality, uh, in my my opinion, Stan. Like you I I think you're spot on sales, um, and then reinvesting back into the operational efficiencies scalability yep. right i mean startup startups startup. and and it's the right activities because i see and this kind of goes back over into rodney like i see these i get upset with vcs because i i used to um because like i'm a growth marketer mentality and so i and branding and so i always got and i just grew up a digital geek so i i was always around vcs way back when in like you know maybe about starting like eight ten years ago and I'll be a part of these projects to analyze like how we can get more sales, but like, and I could see where the budget would go. And what would happen is the, you, you know, this, like, you know, it's like one out of 10, you know, companies are, um, are usually successful, but the VCs don't care because they're like, oh, we're going to bet on 10 ponies. One's going to make it. And I never understood. I, I get why they do it. But I'm like, oh, I think you could hedge a little bit. Okay. And then they yeah. would, they would spend the money and then the, then the company would get the CTO, the CMO, they go get this person right out of corporate, which I'm like, that already is a person who's um, used to uh, success in a, in, in a company that's already been in the black, who isn't even spending their marketing budget accordingly, but okay. And I always got stuck in these politics of like, guys, I'm like, you just need sales. Why can't we do like sales and marketing funnels and like drive it with some like ad spend through like LinkedIn or YouTube ads, like video integrated ads. And why I got a guy who can do this over here and like, no, no, no. No, no, no. And they would always get caught up on the sexy stuff. And I'm like, you just need sales. And to me, sales were always so, like really easy. I love sales. Like, because when it's quality, you, you, you love what you do. What's going on, Rodney? <laughs> like, yeah, these, you know, sure. I mean, you know, overall, it's a great question. I think that like most founders, uh, you know, they think about VCs as like uh, a pivotal step in their, you know, founder process. Um, just across the board, regardless of what kind of company they're starting. And that's just really not the way to, you know, that pe entrepreneurs should think about uh, VCs or think about their own success as well. Um, you know, venture capitalists, uh, they look for venture backable companies. And what that means is, you know, these guys are out there unicorn hunting. Um, they're looking for businesses that can potentially turn into a billion dollar companies that can solve tons of problems for people. Um, and venture capitalists are willing to take the risk of some ideas that look very promising and look like they can be uh, great solutions to tons of problems people are having. 
Um, and they, and yeah, they take, they take bets. Um, you know, 50% of the companies that raise a seed round make it to the series A. So, you know, there's a pretty big drop off there. And uh, yeah, from there, there's drop offs along to the series B, to the series C, to the series D. Um, but uh, the reality is, you know, if, if you have a business, uh, you definitely don't need to raise venture capital unless you're really going for that moonshot and really, you know, unless you need like $5 million to put out several fires immediately so you can get to like another catalyst, which will allow for you to raise $20 million and put out like tons of fires immediately. Um, you really need to have a plan like that and like, you know, intend to move fast. But if instead you have a business similar to like the first business we started, which was a luxury interior design company, you definitely don't need to raise any venture capital and you can totally just grow off of sales um, and marketing. Um, and, you know, a luxury interior design business is definitely not venture backable. This is not going right. to be, you know, a billion dollar company unless we turn it into like some sort of e-commerce business. But at the same time, you know, you don't have to do that as a founder. You can define your own levels of success. You know, you you might just want to run a small business. You might you might just want to have a you know tight team. You don't you might not want to go corporate and have fifty employees or things like that. So it's really up to the entrepreneur to you know understand these different chess pieces and moves that they can make as a business um, relative to like different strategies and you know act accordingly. Yeah, well, I think you bring up a lot of really really great points because I think some people some people I think they want uh, venture ca- venture capital because you know it's sort of like they're not as confident. <laughs> like, you know, like we want more money. I'm like, you want sales. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and see, like that's, that's really bad signal from the eyes of a venture right capitalist away. because the venture capitalist, he doesn't want to, you know, like the, the way to raise venture capital is to have a business that is going to succeed, whether or not you raise venture capital and the exactly. benefit of doing so and raising venture capital when you don't need it is that you just have way more money to grow faster. And so the dilution uh, trade-off is worth it because of the quicker growth and higher valuations that you're able to get down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to chime in yeah. here and just say there's a really important conversation around uh, the upfront costs to start a business yes. and that a lot of people, their initial idea is, okay, I got to raise venture capital. That's the way <laughs> to start, you know? And I think like oh. from my experience and, you know, I'm sure a lot of different businesses have different uh, upfront costs that are necessary. But I think that if you can get to the point where you save up at least a couple thousand dollars or get to the point where you have a like a good cushion of like 10 to $20,000 or something like that, like you already have so much like that you can do with that money that can get you to the stage of being profitable. You don't even really need venture capital in most scenarios. Yeah, I think most businesses would benefit a lot more from using services like Fiverr or other like, you know, um, freelance labor solutions to, you know, solve a bunch of problems that they might be having versus raising venture capital. Yeah, You know, I, I also like really good point, Stan. So like uh, you see this all the time, right, where um, people are like, yeah, I, I, they they approach me and they'll be like, hey, what do you think? So I, I've got this business plan. I want to put this together. I want to like pitch it. I want to go get this money. And I'm like. I was like, listen, <laughs> for a couple grand and about a few years off your life, um, I was like, why don't you just go right out directly into the market and just start like, you know, making something, anything happen, just A, to see like, you know, the feedback from the general market, B, so you know exactly who you're trying to deal with and serve, C, so that way you save yourself a lot of time, energy and money. 
um, D, so you can really see which direction you want to go. And it's like, they're always wanting to, you know, yeah, either put together a business plan. I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> like at least have an MVP or something like just something that you can work off of, or even a minimal viable brand, something that you can yeah. just like go get that feedback from. And even I was like, look, even go get like $5,000 a month in recurring like sales or like subscription or whatever, or whatever it might be to the thing that you're creating, because at least in you have a benchmark to work off of, of like, okay, I, I am solving something. I know how to make it better because I have people I can ask to make it better. I start to probably look a little bit more investable, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I know, no, I now know that what would I spend that money on? Oh, it's clear. Uh, I need a little bit extra, you know, uh, software help in my software. I need help in, you know, uh, fulfillment and I need help in, you know, this, this, and this. And it's like, yeah, because now you know what you're solving internally to help fulfill externally to the people that you have discovered you're helping. You know? Yeah. And, and yeah, like as you, as you laid out, you know, um, a person in that situation that knows the problems that are in front of them and the things that they need to solve to move from uh, point A to point B um, would be relatively in a way better situation to raise venture capital than somebody who hasn't even taken the first step because they believe that the barrier to progress is raising capital. Um, you know, VCs look at like statistics on like, you know, how many users uh, you've acquired like per month and the growth of that, you know, we look at like, if you're a SaaS company, we, we look at like your your smile curve to see like, you know, uh, how often like users drop off on day one versus how many loyal users you have on day 30. Um, um, and yeah, unless you start, you know, making progress and moving around, you know, you don't, it doesn't really look to the, the VC like you're a business that's alive. And yeah. um Unless unless you're alive, moving and in their opinion, moving quickly, they, they won't really have the fear of missing out that's required in order to take the sorts of risks to back a company like yours to begin with. So here's a good question. Ones that that have done these things, they're promising. Um, and, you know, they they're building, they're growing, they've got some customers or at least, you know, they're in their initial phase. Things are looking pretty good. They, they look backable. What are some of the differences between the ones that make it versus the others that don't? Some common yeah, things you've seen. That's a good question. Um, I think that probably uh, a large number of failures would be due to uh, improper cash management. Um, and and I say that as in first, like uh, if you're a venture backed business, you, maybe you raised too little money um, to get to the next step, uh, which would be a catalyst for raising more money. Um, if you, if you, you know, sink halfway to the Island that you're trying to reach, you're just going to be dead in the water. Um, so I think like things like cash management planning and things like that are just one part of the problem. Second, if you lie to yourself about, um, you know, what kind of, uh, success you have or, you know, why people love your product and if they love your product and you don't do proper research to really understand, like, is this a problem that you're solving for people? Or is this, you know, just something you're telling yourself because you just want to check it off and move quickly and, you know, uh, not deal with the problems at hand. Um, that's also another, you know, huge uh, failure point that a lot of people have. Um, and I'm, I'm personally the kind of person that believes that, you know, anyone could do anything um, with enough research or, you know, with enough attention or with enough heart to, to jump in and do it. You know, if you, if you have that sort of thing, like um, these problems that come in front of you, they're for the most part can be solved. And for the most part, they can be solved without uh, that much money, but instead with more creativity. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that would be the, the types of points I'd put forward for this. You know, um, well said. Uh, and I'm listening to you speak and I'm thinking, ego. 
because when there's humility, um, I think humility is such an under, I, I know Gary Vee, I think talked about this a couple of times, but I, I always love bringing it up. I think it's such an undervalued, underutilized uh, superpower with humility. You're like, listen, uh, I don't know how I, I've got this cash, but I want a better plan for it. Anybody got, you know, somebody that is very trusting that I can actually sit down with and make do that. You know, humility allows you to ask questions. Hey guys, like, uh, I, I love that you love the product. How can I make this better? Trying to be very efficient with my time. I'm honest to my customers. Hey, investor, there's certain things that I don't know. I need you to give it to me raw, real, direct, and honest right now and tell me like how I can get this, this, and this. But humility, it's, it requires a person to be very, very just honest. <laughs> like just yeah. honest about where you're at yeah. and, and not afraid to speak your voice. Like say, hey, I, I need help. Like I'm, I'm just one guy or we're a team, but we know we can learn more. We, I think we always have to be in learning mode. And so I, and I, yeah, I and yeah. In, in the absence of humility, you have, you know, the potential for things like arrival syndrome, uh, which just make you less hungry. You know, you, you're, you're literally making yourself have less gas in the car. Mm. Um, so I, I completely agree on that point. Interesting. Yeah. I want to take it even further and say that humility is like how all of the groundwork is done in a business. Right. Right. Because uh, you actually don't get to the specific detailed answers of anything unless you get down to the deepest level of like, what is true? What is um, like, what works? What doesn't work? What's the actual reaction from the market? What is the actual problems that, that need to be solved? You know, like these are all things that like you can try, you can like ignore them. Right. But that's, and that's the, like the ego mentality. Right. But you're actually just like ignoring these holes in your ship that are going to make make you sink in the end, you know? Well, and it's so interesting. People are like, they're so worried about, and I, I get it. I, I definitely get it. But like, they're so worried about judgment. I'm like, you can't solve it <laughs> if you don't acknowledge <laughs> it. And then when you acknowledge it, you be like, I know where we're at. We need help in this and this, this and this, you know? And, and I think they just, if they would just take the pressure off of looking a certain way, and being more about cool, like I want to find really awesome people to like help me. Like, like you said, humility helps you get right down to the facts. That's it, you know. And then, um, no, I think I know why like humility is not an attractive option for a lot of people, and it's because like intrinsically you're gonna suffer, you know. <laughs> like you know that you don't have all the answers. You know that what you're doing is still deeply flawed, and you know that you still have a long way to go. Right. And that's not, those aren't like comfortable realizations to have, you know, but I think that, you know, if you play on that level, then you can have a much more solid foundation once you actually build everything up. That's life, brother. <laughs> that's, that's not just even a startup. That's like, am I the problem in this area? It's like, you might be uh, like, is there, where are there holes? Are there gaps in what you're doing with yourself? And like, how do you make it better? You know? So yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we might be using business as the analogy, but that's everything, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and tying this back to the VC world, like this avoidance of, you know, seeing, you know, digging deeper to find the problems is probably how a lot of people end up wasting, like using all the money that they have and then failing as a business or not or not iterating to the next uh, iter to the next iteration of what your business is going to be, you know? I love that, you know, and I I mean, I wasn't in Silicon Valley, so I, I, I can't speak what it'd be like there or or in, in even though I'm from New York, I wasn't there, you know, during some of those booms and stuff like that or, or even now. But like it, it's just funny because I, I got so frustrated sometimes with with 
with VC firms um, that I was just like, you know what? I'm going to come back and I'm going to show you exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> they were like, we hope you do. And I was like, well, because like, so I have a growth marketing firm because we, we do all automations and operational efficiencies on in the tech side. And it was like, I was telling, I was telling a, um, a friend of mine who, who is involved and he's like, oh, what have you been up to? And I told him, he's like, oh, interesting. I'm like, oh no, I have a plan. I was like, we're, we're growing in our own way. I'm like, but I'm going to come back in. And like, you know, if it's like to give like 50 or hundred grand at a time, it'd be like, here, I like this product or service. I want you out of the way. I want to give it to my team who's going to actually build it. So I won't even get any of that money. I want equity. Plus, I also want to hold back equity for them as well, too. <laughs> it's like, and now I'm like, you get my sweat equity and that I'm managing the team. I know exactly where the funds are going. And they're all dedicated to growing the actual product or service with the type of resources that you need versus getting taken advantage of <laughs> from the market. You know, and he's like, mm, it's not actually a bad idea. I'm like, well, what do you guys do now? And like, well, you know, they come to us with their, you know, what they need and, and then we have to go out and we, you know, either help source it through our people, which are usually high priced, you know, and, <laughs> you know, over, overvaluing their skill sets and all that stuff. So it's just, it's, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, I know you're, you guys are, are um, Rodney probably dealing with a whole other, you know, uh, dimension, um, when it, especially when yeah, it's with, software and whatnot, with, right? For the most part, like, you know, the VCs that uh, back companies in Silicon Valley, um, you know, uh, there's two kinds of companies. You know, there's companies that uh, you could help a lot and there's companies that probably don't need your help that you would back. And right. um, the VCs that, you know, back specific types of companies, like, for example, you know, I work at a crypto venture capital fund and um, the person I work with is extremely well connected. And uh, for any sort of project that we talk to, you know, he's been there before. And that's the benefit of, you know, raising capital from VCs right. that have portfolio companies yes. within the area that you're looking to go into. Whereas, you know, if you take money from, you know, just an average angel that, you know, uh, just happened to get this sort of money from, for example, like real estate or something like that. Yeah, maybe you have money, but, you know, in, in some ways money, when you once you have a successful business and once you're growing really quickly, money turns into a commodity because you turn into the hot business in the room. And from there, you know, founders pivot from thinking about raising money as in we need more cash to who can I incentivize um, in the future of my own success mm. that will be able to help me in the long run. Um, no. And so, yeah. Re really well put because like so I'm you know I'm based in Scottsdale Arizona and yeah it's a lot of real estate money in Arizona a lot of real estate money and they they equated uh, like some of their funds into like oh well invest in tech I'm like oh wait a minute I'm like you guys do you have a background in tech they're like well no no no, no. but you know we've got the you know the cash and I'm like uh, that's different. <laughs> yeah, and, and sometimes, you know, that cash is helpful. And sometimes, you know, an angel check from anybody and just having enough money for an entrepreneur with a vision set in mind, you right. know, a future burned into his head on where he wants to go is exactly what they need at right. the early stages. And, you know, great businesses are sometimes started like that, right. but, you know, for, for the most part, um, it's, it's really, you know, finding the right people that will be able to help you and not, you know, just raising money from somebody. What type of projects do you like to look into for you guys? Yeah, um, to be honest, like while I work in uh, crypto VC as a job, I, I've angel invested into all sorts of businesses. Um, awesome. There's like two strategies you can take uh, as an angel investor. So um, the strategy that I think most angel investors take is um, finding deals that have high quality co-investors investing in the same terms at the same round. Um, and that like is what we call uh, a good signal deal, right? If you're getting in at the same money as someone like a Sequoia, 
you can you know have the same exposure the same economics to the type of deal that they're jumping into that's pretty valuable and so in that world you turn into things like having allocation wars with people you know trying to you know like just hunting for that 100k of allocation within that one round which you may or may not get because you're you know in a war with several other investors that may or may not be higher value add than you or you can you know just back projects that you personally believe in and if you're good at choosing you know where you think the future is going to go and who's going to get you there um then you can also be successful but the latter is certainly more risky than than the first and i want to add like one really important dimension to this which is the dimension of access mm-hmm. as a vc like the more first of all the more deals that you have access to the more deals that you get to look at now you get to make better decisions um secondly uh you know the the top tier vcs the reason why they actually outperform like everybody i mean taking ronnie's current boss as an example who had like pretty much like unheard of performance with his past fund like the thing that really makes this possible is the access um that he's getting that he's creating by building relationships with all the different people in the field and that's why there's so much so many investors like i think that there's way more capital than there is good deals in in like silicon valley for example and the the reason why most funds only perform to a certain degree is because they lack access to the highest quality deals i think interesting is it and 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 resources the way, the way i think i would like uh uh, help like visualize this is like let's say like you're a very high quality startup founder right like you have you're raising like a tight round only a million dollars in your seed because you don't want to dilute your business and you know that that's all you need uh, and you don't really have that much money to you know uh, allocate to tons of different people so as the founder you know let's say you have like you know investor a you know it's someone like naval or someone else investor b you know, another like seed stage venture capital fund or investors see like an angel that uh, is value add and then maybe investor D an angel that's not value add. Um, as a startup, you know, you'd literally go in order and say like, okay, well, with this allocation, I'd rather give it to these guys. If these guys don't want it, I'll rather give it to these guys. If these guys don't want it, I'd rather give it to these guys. And so it becomes like pretty clear that um, in, like investors that have high quality access and high quality signal um, end up just, you know, having access to way higher quality deal flow um, than a lot of other investors because the companies that are high quality would way rather give them the allocation than someone else. Right. And reputation is like, I mean, <laughs> you give me it yeah. to Naval, I mean, you kind of know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and what's even crazier is that, you know, in some ways, these people like Naval who are, you know, so great in picking the businesses that mm-hmm. will succeed in the future end up becoming um, a self-fulfilling prophecy of success for the companies that they invest into as well. Because, you know, if, if you have a deal at the series A and let's say you're a very high quality venture fund, you're like a Sequoia or something, and you see a deal that, you know, someone like Naval seated, it might be attractive to you. You might look into it, you might go in. Uh, but even like, you know, in the absence of, you know, the A tier, S tier funds, um, if you're like a B tier fund, you know, from North America or Europe or, anywhere globally that doesn't even have access to seed stage deals that are high quality within the States, um, you would certainly take, you know, the series A of a deal funded by someone like Naval, right? Um, And so, you know, what happens is investors who are these like really high value uh, early investors end up like in a way like securing the success to some extent, or like at least the ability to raise capital for the startups that they back as well in the future.
So it's, it's a really interesting thing that, you know, is definitely hard to see. And also to, to another point that Stan brought up, um, I can share like my own experience on as well. Like when I first started angel investing, I literally just invested into my friend and is the only deal I had on the table. You know, I wasn't making a decision between several deals. Later, a year later, I started, you know, my own angel fund with my brother. It was called Gilga Capital. Um, and, you know, I, I did the rounds in Toronto. I talked to, you know, all 50 or 100 startups that, you know, were raising at that time period in Canada. And I thought that was a lot. And, you know, comparing uh, one deal on the table to having 100 deals on the table, you're able to make a relatively informed decision because you have a lot more. The only way to make an informed decision is to have a lot of different comparisons to compare and you pick the best opportunity relative to the pool of opportunities. Then I joined AngelList and at AngelList, like if, if you're on the team, you know, you have access to looking at 3000 deals, 4000 deals a year. And that's a completely different ballgame because if you were to rank, you know, the top 10 investments um, that you can potentially jump into when you have access to one, I mean, you only have access to one. When you have access to like a hundred, you know, you're going to pick a top 10, but if you have access to 3000, the top 10 that you would have picked within the hundred is completely different from the top 10 that you would have picked out of 3000. And that's because you're able to make a relatively more informed decision because of the access that you have. Yeah. I was going to say access, access and data. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I feel like I feel like you're a young Naval. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening <laughs> to you speak. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I'm listening to you guys speak, and I, I can kind of see how you know the blueprint's just there for you. You know what I mean? In terms of like, and you're already you know understanding how uh, Angelist, uh, Angel, sorry, not Angelist, Angel Investing is working. You know, and how you you fit into there, and um, and you're learning from all these other amazing people along the way. It's it's pretty. I think you got your blueprint down, brother. <laughs> and I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. plan on, you know, slowing down anytime soon. And I think that for me, at least, you know, working in venture is a, a great way to have a positive impact on uh, a lot more than I'd be able to uh, do manually on my end uh, right now, at least. You know, if I can somehow help in the facilitation of, you know, driving capital into young people with great ideas on how to improve the world. Um, that will succeed and create jobs for people. Um, you know, that's a lot more than I could do if I was doing something else right now. Um, and yeah, it's, it's fulfilling and inspiring. And um, as someone who comes from, you know, a family of entrepreneurs and is able to empathize with, you know, the problems that these entrepreneurs face and how hard it is to take on all of that risk on your own. Um, I definitely just want to help. Yeah, I, um, I grew up with a very entrepreneurial family. They pretty much everybody was in their own business, but it was usually small business or like their own firms and things like that. But my God, like, you know, it's, <laughs> you, <laughs> you definitely learn resilience. That's for sure. You know? Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I definitely, I think that um, the other thing I was going to also point out is that you're also coming with integrity, man. And I feel like, um, when you can bring both experience and money and integrity, um, it becomes much more um, teachable for the um, for the the people that you're trying to impact, but also like um, received, you know, and like and trusted because like you know I, I and I think that there's been some incredible uh, investors and and firms in you know, previous generations and they're still crushing it. But I like the idea of more of this happening as we further along and with newer generations that are, are innovating because the innovation this is going to bring me to my next kind of, you know, segue, but like, because where we're heading, um, they're getting younger. Um, they're needing, they want to create, they need 
a little bit of guidance along the way in, you know, these uh, shark infested waters, which the sharks aren't even getting along anymore with each other. <laughs> I'm like, y'all are wild. Like, I think we're just going to go over here in this pool of uh, other sharks over here that are like, kind of just like, you know, swimming together. <laughs> you, yeah. all, you all are doing something globally that, you know, I, not even just investing, just in life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, where where do you see this new, I guess the segue is this, you know, we're, we're entering into web three and i like talking about web three uh i like i feel like i have to have now a segment always dedicated to like web three because um and some of my audience lately especially as i've been doing my stories i get these dms that are like i need a book fast i'm like all right like, <laughs> like the token economy is probably a good like start you know what i mean like you can kind of i was like i i'm like using that as like my bible <laughs> you know or like my Torah. Oh. i don't know uh so um you know, but I would love for you to, you know, dive into, you know, your thoughts on blockchain and crypto and, you know, the, the, this amazing world that we're moving into. And, 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 um, we can, we can obviously talk as high technical as we want and at, you know, fourth grade level for everybody. And by the way, everybody listen, that is not an insult. I was taught always like make it very simple for anybody to understand so they can actually get excited about the possibilities. <laughs> not because we look at you as a fourth grader because that's, that's the most amazing, one of the most amazing lessons I ever learned. Actually at, at Louis Vuitton is where I, I was taught that, uh, my, my, the director of, um, of Krug Champagne was like, Matt, I, I love you, but as a techie, we have no fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's wow. like, but we know you're right. You just have to go in there and tell them about like from a cash flow and a budgeting and a return perspective, like talking English like that way. And so we can go, oh, okay, so if we're investing in this, it's for acquisition of this, which gives us a return on this and gives us our profitability. Right? So it was, it's a really, it was a really cool. It was one of the, my favorite people to ever actually like do to, to learn from, but anyways, so like, yeah. yeah, like what are your thoughts on like just this beautiful new era that we're, you know, we're really at the, just the baby level of it. Yeah. I honestly, it's uh, extremely exciting. Uh, all of it. Uh, if, if you're not, you know, if you're listening and you're not into crypto, I think that you should definitely just take a look. Um, but if you are into crypto, then, you know, you probably know that, you know, everything is changing really quickly. Um, the, you know, the state of decentralized finance and cryptocurrency and uh, decentralized applications, like from four years ago, um, compared to where we are right now is, you know, a completely different ballgame. And, uh, you know, that pace of innovation that, you know, we've developed along the way has not been getting slower. Instead, it's actually been getting faster. Um, and the sorts of things that, you know, Ethereum means to you or um, the sorts of applications that, you know, you might be using on these sorts of uh, networks right now are probably going to be completely different from, you know, the way that you interact with these sorts of platforms now. Whereas like, yeah, sure, there's going to be some projects that stick around and, you know, become really valuable. But at the same time, you know, this is only you know, some percentage of all of the applications that are going to be used in the future that are out now. So um, it's definitely moving quickly. Um, you know, I think that the first, um, I guess, era of innovation uh, on top of Ethereum that I was really excited about was decentralized finance, um, because it's uh, very simple to conceptualize how it's valuable. You know, um, if you have some Ethereum, you have some uh, you know, other altcoins, you can now go on, you know, a Uniswap, which is a decentralized exchange, 
and become a liquidity provider for those two assets and, you know, earn a return that's in the form of transaction fees and also, um, you know, governance tokens of the base protocol. And, you know, that like basically made people um, able to have, you know, an interest rate associated with their cryptocurrency and uh, in exchange for, you know, providing liquidity to automated market makers. But that's only, that was only, you know, step one. Um, from there, I mean, now we have like decentralized exchanges that allow for leverage trading. We have like, um, you know, tax protocols that help people like understand like how much tax they owe with crypto, which is really exciting. Um, and also some other really uh, unique innovations that are coming out, like decentralized social media. Um, you know, that definitely wasn't a thing ever uh, before. We know a lot of people, you know, have a lot of um, opinions on, um, you know, Twitter or Facebook or Instagram being able to take down your page or, you know, having all of that hosted in one place. And, you know, you build up an Instagram page for six years, seven years, you make, you get a million followers, you get shut down for some reason. And then all of a sudden, you know, your seven years of progress, you, you start an Instagram page today and try to get a million followers. That's hard. That's really hard. It's not as easy as it was before. So uh, decentralized social media is definitely um, another area that I'm super excited about. But the areas of excitement themselves will evolve as well as young people with great ideas continue to put them out into the world and uh, change everything. You know, I, I love when you so for everybody listening, decentralized, think about it as uh, ownership, you know, the ownership coming back to you and um you know versus like the uh, the perfect point is you know being deplatformed at any point in time and anybody listening remove the politics out of it it's just the idea of like your reach is limited right oh hey um you know what um you didn't you haven't been posting as much content recently okay you're gonna be dinged only three percent of your people are actually gonna see it versus like you know your entire community who's like hey man are you still posting like yeah actually like oh i didn't see anything until i actually looked it's like you know, and because it's very well orchestrated for um, not your needs, but for, you know, the, the the creator of the platform's needs and the company, you know, and the data and the advertising dollars and all that other stuff. And I love the idea to like, like dApps, right? Like such a beautiful, you know, perfect example, a decentralized app for anybody listening. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong along the way, I'm going to give like a perfect uh, example to anybody listening is like, so imagine you guys like you work so hard. Well, it's not as hard these days, but you work so hard to like create a really cool app that maybe, maybe Apple says, you know what? You're approved. We approve you. You can now come into our uh, store or into, you know, you can be listed in the store and oh, here's all the different lists of protocols and agreements and all that other stuff. And by the way, if you're charging anything in, in there, we're going to take a percentage of this and a percentage of that and a percentage of this and this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and if at any point in time, we don't like you anymore, which we also saw. We will get rid of you. <laughs> thereby, thereby getting rid of your business. And then I tell people, I'm like, now, an alternative, a decentralized app, you get to build it on the blockchain. Um, and let's just say you're paying, I believe like, this was, a, was what somebody had mentioned to me, or maybe I read it in token comedy. It's like, you can, um, essentially, you're paying um, like almost like the gas fee for like having it hosted on blockchain, really, right? And then, and that's it. Like, you're paying that as a monthly fee. You're not paying any more. You're not paying any less or whatever. You know, well, you may have to pay more, depending. But like, that's it. Ownership's on you. You're not going to be deplatformed. Yeah. You're not going to like, you know, and and you're on the blockchain. So you're way more encrypted. <laughs> like, you're yeah. practically invincible. Um, and you're running the show. It's that now you're just responsible for actually running it like a business. But, you know. Um, but you have complete control and ownership. Yeah. Apart from like, you know, uh, a lot of people think about like blockchain and like cryptocurrencies as, you know, cr currencies, 
for the most part, like primarily. And yeah, sure, you know, every token has its own token economics and things right. like that. But what's, what's really happening behind the scenes is adoption of, you know, open source technology that's unstoppable. Um, and, you know, no, like, as you said, you know, like if you, if you spin up a decentralized application or like, a, uh, or a DAO, which is like an autonomous organization, uh, decentralized autonomous organization, this thing's going to exist. And, you know, whether you like it or not, it's, it exists on the blockchain and it's uh, utility that you can interact with. Um, and, uh, the only, the only way that, you know, uh, people will stop using it is if it's no longer valuable to them and they just stop using it organically. Yeah, I think, this, Ronnie, I want to also tie this into Sigil, you know, and how there are now a lot of uh, young creators who are able to basically start building the next infrastructure of of all the different tools that need to be uh, in place for these uh, for all of these crypto projects to be valuable. You know, there needs to be a lot more. Um, yeah, I guess like tools to facilitate all kinds of different actions that anybody can take in the market. And I think it's interesting that uh, like the barrier to entry now is so low. You don't, there's no, like you said, there's no centralized regulatory figure or something that's determining whether you can build something. It's all just code. It's all code and it's all uh, creativity. And that's what I love to see. And I'd love for Rodney to, you know, talk about that example of Sigil. Yeah, for sure. Um, so within like the world of decentralized social media, there's this platform. Uh, from called BitClout. Um, yes, yeah, very uh, critiqued by some and loved by others um, uh, due to its, you know, a strange upbringing. But um, what it has allowed as decentralized social media is to, instead of having a centralized organization like Twitter or Facebook hiring developers for 150K per year a pop and, you know, uh, directing them into like building one specific thing, you now have the ability for you know, uh, tons of different people with great ideas to create their own teams and choose the direction that they want to build useful tools in within the realm of social media. So I guess like I should explain, BitCloud is, you know, a blockchain platform for social media um, where the base, you know, protocol just looks like a, a Twitter feed. It's BitCloud.com. But at the same time, you can, you know, uh, interact with the data that's on BitCloud to build uh, a Reddit on top of it or an Instagram on top of it or, you know, a creator economy on top of it. Um, and so the, the duty of progress is no longer on, you know, BitCloud as a team to, you know, evolve the use cases of their platform, but instead anyone could do anything that they want. And if you have a vision for where decentralized social media can go, for example, and you're opinionated and you really believe in yourself and, and you go out and do it and people love it, then you have, you know, single-handedly progressed the future of like decentralized social media. And that's an opportunity that people have. And Stan mentioned Sigil. Sigil's like a 17 year old kid from Toronto. Um, he, he was in high school. Um, he like ended up hiring somebody to write his, you know, reports for him because he wanted to, you know, work on an application that was building on top of decentralized social media. And um, that, you know, that, yeah, it just goes to show really anyone can do anything. And if you set your mind to it and, you know, you're honest and you have integrity, then you're going to succeed. So Ahead, yeah, and just to add, um, I think it's really interesting what's happening on BitCloud right now is that we not only do we have all these people who are super excited about decentralized social media and also all these, you know, celebrities who potentially want to uh, take advantage of this platform, but we also have a big community of VCs who are actively providing feedback to people who are building uh, tools like Sigil, for example. 
And that's to me, that's like incredible that now you have some of the highest level VCs in direct conversation with like 17 year old kids who are building projects. I think that's like a really special moment that I hope we get to see more of that. Like no, like uh, removing the middleman between like great uh, mentors, advisors, and investors, and uh, people who are inspired to build a project. That's so 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 key. And yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was uh, what's Rodney? Was the um bit member or bit something like where you can also send, you know, our friend Anna, I think like was the one who showed me Anna Chirikova. She was like, showing me like, she's like, Hey, check this out in our little cool community. <laughs> and I'm like, Anna, what yeah, is there's, this? There's cloud members. There's like yes. uh, clouded right now that also has, you know, the ability to organize communities like that. You know, right. there's like um, a cloud wallet, which is like another project being built. There's like moon bounce, which is uh, like uh, a whole platform for monetizing creators on big cloud. There's honestly like a list of 50 or 60 projects that were built on top of BitCloud before they even released the documentation for how to run a node on the platform or any APIs that were publicly wow. accessible. And yeah, they released nodes. Now we're reaching, you know, era two of, you know, innovation with another probably around 50 projects that are going to be built on top of it. And then, you know, once all this code is open source and APIs are accessible to everybody, um, we're going to have era three of innovation as well, um, which is going to be, you know, the easiest form of it because you have all the documentation as well, instead of having to, you know, re reverse engineer the APIs. So, um, yeah, it's, it's certainly super exciting. And also, I think that the pace of innovation within decentralized social media has been a lot quicker than the pace of innovation within things like blockchain and cryptocurrency, because we've, we're, we're, we already know what social media feels like. We already know right. what the useful applications on top of it are. We've been here for, you know, 15, 16, 20 years now, I guess. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's moving quickly as a result and it's still in its infancy stages. You know, we haven't even had things like brand marketing tools built, built into decentralized social media, largely because nobody has that problem yet. It's, it's not a valuable enough <laughs> protocol in terms of users to the point where that's a real pain point for brands that, you know, are willing to do this kind of thing because there's no brands that want to do it yet. But all these different problems are going to come up and be solved by other people that have great ideas on how to do it. And, um, I'm here for it, man. I'm excited. Yeah, well, you know, and it, oh, go ahead, Stan, go ahead. Yeah, if it's okay, I do want to bring in one more point, which I think is really important to this conversation, which is uh, this idea that, like, it's, we're actually living in a small world, like, it's a small world. Yeah. And this is really important, tying back to a couple of things. One, to Rodney's path and how we got to a place of, like, tremendous opportunity. It was through like literally a, a couple people, like a very small chain of people, you know, it's like the and yeah, I guess the same thing ties into uh, what's happening on BitClub, what's happening on Clubhouse today is we are seeing these small groups of people where now you actually as an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, you have access to talk to really amazing people. And it actually is a very small world. And this is a unique opportunity for anybody who, uh, you know, is driven in that direction. Yeah, no, you're uh, both of you are spot on. Um, the world has become even smaller, and uh, and you're right about Clubhouse. It's funny. I'm, <laughs> I remember I walked in one night, not walked in, but like you know, I, I logged in one night, and uh, one of my buddies was um, like uh, um, hosting a, a panel. It was like 24 women um, on the panel, and they were talking about you know, dating and men, whatever. And it was like a room full of about 900 people. 
And he pulls me up on stage, and I, I wasn't <laughs> wasn't prepared for that. And you know, the women were like, you know, some of your biggest influencers in the world, um, you know, like in hip hop and 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 reality TV and all this other stuff. And they were going on a tear about man, and, and he's like, "Hey, Matt," and I was like, "Yeah," and he goes, "Get him." <laughs> and I, like went on this tear about like, "Hey, you know," and kind of I think you guys might want to change about the men you're hanging out with type of a deal, and and went on this tear, but it's crazy. You don't just normally have like a conversation with some of these people, you know, I won't say who they were just out of you know, respect, but it's like, um, you know, like it's it, so it's it's wild how quickly, um, like you said, the middlemen come out of the out of the way and everybody just starts to connect. I'm like, what do you know? What do you know? Like, oh, you, you know, and and also it changes, I think, the dynamic of influence, because sometimes you just have people who are like, yeah, I get it. You're on TV. But this kid over here is doing something really dope in blockchain, which kind of like you're you're I almost feel bad because you have to deal with all like the politics and the you know the bureaucracy <laughs> yeah. of media and do it this way, not that way. You don't even really have control over your like who you are to have that money. But like and you're just maybe more publicly known than this kid over here who like but is in a discord room that has like, you know, 30,000 people and they're all like, a, you know, mobbing out on, you know whatever you know uh, a, a game through twitch or whatever it might be <laughs> i mean you have like so i i just i think it's now kind of showing everybody like no matter what world you're in the world gets smaller and everybody gets pulled together um and and ronnie something you were saying when you're talking about bitcloud and um decentralized social media i think because it it's a way where people can go i can use something as a utility that i've used before but I'm allowed to experiment more with it without having to feel restricted the way I was on social. So it's almost like calming the nervous systems of everybody that ha has just gone out of way out of control the last decade on social. And it's almost kind of like re, you know, it's kind of frazzled their minds into like what's reality and what's not. Um, so I think that it's cool. It's almost like going like back to the early days of MySpace. I'm like, oh, I'll just create my page. And I'll, I'll add this widget up here, you know, because I can. And, you know, not really, obviously. But I, so I think that the utility in the use case of social media allows people to start. That's what I got excited about is like, oh, it'll start to integrate them and be like, there's a lot more possibility because I'm seeing people on there that normally would, would like they thought I was weird years ago. I'm like, hey, have you heard about blockchain? It's really cool. And you know, this is what's going to happen. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But now they're 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 able to play with the thing and have a better like. Wait a minute, I have like freedom, don't I? I'm like, and and like, and I can own my content. I'm like, and like, I guess I can also charge too, right? And like, there's like no like, there's not the same fees. <laughs> I'm like, no, not really. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a really exciting future we're moving towards. Honestly, I think. Um, you know, within decentralized social is one example, but, you know, there's uh, every single industry in the world is currently being innovated on and has an, a frontier of innovation where you have the people who have, you know, uh, asked the question that hasn't been answered yet and are moving forward because it's always the case in, in any industry that growth is, you know, inevitable. Um, and so, you know, while even the idea of decentralized social media is fascinating, um, I would say that if you, you know, go to the frontier of innovation within any industry, be it apparel, be it, um, you know, crypto, uh, be it really anything, you're going to find the exact same, you know, fascinating uh, dilemmas that these entrepreneurs are faced with. And the types of problems that they're thinking of are so unique relative to the types of problems that were being solved, even a handful of years ago by people who were in the same situation looking for the question to answer. 
And so, um, you know, you can't, you can't help but be excited um, for the future if, if you have that sort of optimistic lens on top of it. I 100% agree. You know, it's interesting. When I first got into building all of the online um, uh, profiles and brands and all that stuff, it was because I, I felt like I wasn't practicing what I was preaching. You know, I'm working with all these big, high-profile brands, and I'm telling them about audience development and why it's so important. And I'm like, well, it's technically also your distribution channel. I was like, it's your research and development. It's your, you know, product or service feedback. It's your, you know, brand ambassadorships. It's your sponsorships. It's your distribution. It's your leverage, your access, all this other stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, some got it. They had no choice because they, like, especially the LVMH brands are like, if we don't manage it, somebody else will. And, like, we're we're all gobbling up our our stuff that everybody else like started for us in our Facebook groups and all that stuff. Um, and so I, but it's interesting because it would start off as wanting to connect with the world in a different manner and build out my own distribution. Um, I hadn't, you do get tired. I know Javier Laval and I were talking about this on the other podcast episodes. Like you, you do get kind of tired when you're to your point earlier about you can do all the stuff to build out like, hundreds of thousands of like legit followers. I love my crew. I love my tribe, but you do get tired, but it's, I feel like blockchain and decentralization is actually a new era of like, of how we're going to have our relationship more now and a distribution more now. And, and it also takes away the pressure from people feeling like you don't have to have hundreds of thousands like I do or like or a million. And, and quite frankly, it's more like my personal page is more like the core 10. Like these are the people we're just constantly, you know, all about. Like I think it takes the pressure off of like how how vast, um, you know, your distribution has to be um, and uh, allows you just a lot more, um, you know, convenience and community centric behavior. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. I so, completely agree. You know, um, so what, okay, because I know, I can't even believe it's already been an hour and 10 minutes. This stuff flies by. Um, we can talk about, well, two things. Uh, if you were, if you're talking to the general world right now, like let's just say you're talking mm -hmm. to millions of people right now and you're going to tell them right now, like, hey, I get it. I'm talking about, we're talking about all this really great stuff. If they were to just even start trying to kind of, um, for the, those that aren't, they're hearing it and they're excited, but they just don't know like an entry point What would be like the top three entry points that you would say, you know, Hey, I would check this out, this out and that out, like, or read this. And that'll give you kind of a feeling of what's happening and where to, where to begin. Yeah. I think I would just um, probably just share like one thing that, you know, has been, um, you know, core to the way I view the world, uh, which I think, you know, should be embodied in uh, a lot of people who want to be innovators is, um, you know, anyone could do anything. And if you have uh, something in mind that you want to do, whether or not you know how it will be done by you, or if even if you have a good idea, I would say that there's a good chance that there's a way for you to accomplish the thing that you want to accomplish. There's, there's a possibility, there's a way, right? There's some sort of ladder that is abstract that can connect you from point A to point B. And, um, you know, the innovator um, is tasked with, you know, reverse engineering that success. But, you know, given that we see 17 year olds come up with ideas that completely changed how decentralized finance works, you know, given that, you know, like even in my case, I, I like led the operations of a U.S. health insurance company at 23 with, you know, being a, a Canadian that has no idea, had no idea how the U.S. health insurance you know, system worked, writing 200 pages of like policies and procedures manually, like having taken zero science classes, for example. And like, you know, if you just set your mind to it, you know, you can really do anything there's we live in a world of information that has the ability to 
um, you know, really give you any answer that you're looking for. And if it's not, you know, accessible in the information that you find online, we live in a world that has become increasingly more interconnected. Like Matt, take you, for example, you mentioned that anyone can send you a message and have a conversation with you. I think that's not only true for you, but true for almost anybody. Like, just, just go ahead and try. Like I, I DM'd like Justin Khan on, on like TikTok and he answered, you know, um, you can, you can have a conversation with anybody. And even like, though you think you might have to go through several middlemen or things like that, maybe you should, you know, uh, re- remove the barriers that you've set uh, in front of yourself and be open-minded in bridging the uh, place that you're at right now and the place that you want to get to. So true. I've had people ask me, they're like, how'd you get so-and-so, uh, you know, on the podcast? I'm like, I DM'd him. <laughs> yeah. And and that's, that's like, you know, uh, apparently it's a secret these days, you know, uh, a lot of people, and I think it, you know, has somewhat to do with like insecurity, somewhat to do with, you know, just like not, you know, being in disbelief that the world uh, could really just work like that. But um, yeah, yeah, like what's the worst thing that can happen? You know, like someone, you, you DM someone and they don't reply. Okay. Well, there's probably like a handful of people that could, you know, fill the same hole in, you know, this ladder that you've built. And um, it's about innovating, iterating, and uh, just like, you know, keeping your head down and continuously building and being open to feedback, having integrity and all of the other things we mentioned before. There's, there's really no secret sauce. It's just, you know, um, being a, being a good entrepreneur is not as hard as a lot of people make it out to be. I would also like to extend this to one more area that we haven't really explored yet, which is education. And I think nowadays, like, I mean, yeah, there are still a lot of fields where you have to go through a very formal education. I'm thinking like physics and stuff, you know, chemistry, biology, these kind of areas. But like, you know, if you have like 17 year old kids now building amazing applications, which capture tons of value, then in a lot of ways for a lot of people, education might be actually like a barrier for moving forward or, uh, or maybe like uh, to put it in a more negative way, like a coping mechanism for the uncertainty of facing the uncertainty of the world. You know, I, I, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. It's like, oh, I just going to college because you're stalling time right now because you're not really sure what you want to do. And I, I get that. I get that. But like, I don't think education has moved as fast as um, information has and what and, and what we have access to and what we can do now. And so, you know, I'm like and even even in, um, you know, grade schools, I'm like, listen, I'm like, you should be teaching about like YouTube and like, you know, uh, business modeling and like, you know, and taxation and crypto and all these things I'm like, huh, what? I'm like, they're learning it and their minds learning it all outside of school are like you're losing them because they're trumping you like they're like they're light years over you and you're not even really saying anything applicable both into like we're no longer really in the industrial age and um where they're going to be using the use case application of what they're learning over here it like far exceeds what they're what you guys are teaching them over here so you might as well start like learning it or bringing in more teachers that can be like oh no i i get let's talk crypto and Let's talk about, you know, and, you know, and also like other soft skills, like, you know, meditation and mindfulness and all this other stuff that would probably yeah. save our humans <laughs> in the yeah, future. And, mm-hmm. and another like useful point to add on top of that is, you know, a lot of people see people doing things in the world and think like, you know, that's, that's the perfect person for that. You know, like, right. of course that guy's doing that, you know, he's done all this other stuff, but like anything that anyone does um, throughout their careers or throughout their life, 
for the most part is um, always changing and like constantly changing and always a new experience that they're themselves going through for the first time. And um, it just goes to show the value of, you know, starting to uh, accumulate all these unique experiences yourself in order to, you know, build context that um, is valuable. But for the most part, that context is not what's valuable, but instead it's the character that you build along the way, which makes you confident in solving the problems that you're inevitably going to have to face that you have no idea how, because every single one of them is going to be unique to some extent to you. But, you know, there have been a hundred people who have done it before you and a hundred people who will do it after you. And there's no reason why you can't be one of those. I have had clients that ask, like, how do you do that? How did you do, how'd you learn that? I was like, YouTube and Google. And they laugh and they always like, they're like, you're really just going to tell me that after what we're paying you? I'm like, first of all, I'm 20 years deep. So I'm going to probably solve a problem for you in this particular thing in about five minutes, which would take you six months. So that's what you're paying for. <laughs> I was like, number two, I'm like, they didn't have this education in school. I had like, I had a natural curiosity. So I had to go learn it. And I think that's, Stan, that's probably the big point that you're bringing up. Well, both of you really, like, as long as the natural curiosity is there, you can just move. You There isn't really, there's no permission needed. <laughs> Literally, like, yeah. it's just have a natural curiosity and move. And you're like, well, how do you know this? And how do you know that? I'm like, none of us know until we move. I get a signal, tells me something, I move, get another signal, move, signal, move, signal. That's it. That's your yeah. life. You, know? you, you hit the nail on the head with the permission thing. You know, a lot of people, you know, think that there are reasons why they can't do something. And, you know, the reality is we live in a deterministic world where there isn't some sort of police force stopping people with ideas from doing things. And in fact, it's like completely the opposite. You know, the only reason why people who've done things have done those things is because they've gone out and tried and some have succeeded and some have failed. Um, but, you know, without trying to begin with, you won't even put yourself in the opportunity set of success. And instead, like, you know, you can, you can totally extrapolate your life at any point. You know, you can, you can just look in the mirror and be honest with yourself and say, you know, given what I'm doing, you know, what are the possible outcomes that can happen, you know? Um, but instead, if you put yourself into, you know, like, I think Naval details it in like how to get rich without getting lucky. But um, basically, like, unless you, you know, put yourself out there and take that sort of risk, you're never going to even have the a possibility of exposure to having the level of success that you're, you might be aiming for, or, you know, achieving whatever goal that you're looking to do. So, and, and there's also like very little risk of failure. And in fact, like you should, you should look at it as a lesson because whatever reason you fail, you probably don't know what that is right now. And once you fail, you'll know. And the next time you do it, you'll have that as a lesson. Um, so, yeah. yeah. You know, and I always, uh, and I bring this up, but I, I like bringing it up multiple times. I always tell everybody, I'm like, this word failure, somebody was really hurt like generations ago and really just blasted people with failure. You're a failure. You're this. And it's like, well, uh, let's ease up for a second. I, I look at failures. I'm like, listen, you did something and you either got a yes or a no. No, it didn't really work. And I don't know, you would usually, when you were younger, you'd be like, oh, that didn't work. Like, should I try a different way to do it? Like, yes, <laughs> if you really want to. So if the natural curiosity meets the something not working, the natural curiosity will pick up the resilience to just like keep iterating. And that's it. That's about it. That's about as deep as I think it really gets. But I, I think people are so, uh, it, they're imprisoned up. And I get it. I get it. I just, I tell people, I'm like, I don't have a formula or a blueprint for you. I'm like, we're all just kind of figuring it out as we go along. And what you're watching is us just do it in real time. We're building in public. That's about it. That's what you're really witnessing. I'm like, I don't have all the things. I'm like, you guys think I have all the things, but that's just because I'm just moving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like another, and a general like piece of advice on how people should look yeah. at this, I think 
is to, like you said, follow your curiosity. But I think more importantly, make yourself valuable yes. to somebody or to a group of people or to the world in general. If you take that pursuit, then you are you have to face the humility that goes with that, you know. Um, yeah, like follow your heart and make yourself valuable. I think that's that's the way. Yeah, you know? I have to get this. I don't know which book it was from. Um but uh, Reese Wabara, who has Manier de Beauvoir, uh streetwear brand from UK, like dude crushes it. I mean, he figured out Facebook ads really well, um, but also just really, really iterative with his uh, uh, designs and whatnot. Um, and he was reading this book and it's, it's to your exact point. And he said, follow your intellectual, intellectual curiosity more than whatever is hot right now. If your curiosity ever leads you to a place where society eventually wants to go, you'll get paid extremely well you're more likely to have skills society does not yet know how to train other people to do. If someone can train other people how to do something, then they can replace you. If they can replace you, then they don't have to pay you a lot. You want to know how to do something other people don't know how to do at the time period when those skills are in demand. Yeah, so I, perfect. It's, it's a great way to put it. And um, yeah, like translating it to business, it's just you know, taking, uh, taking a fresh perspective and uh, solving problems that maybe other people haven't, you know, thought about solving. So um, yeah. yeah, I think I think that's a, a great quote, and a great way to put it. And also, like having the empathy to understand uh, other people, it, like, for example, taking Rodney's path uh, in AngelList, like he, you know, he had the un- empathy to understand what, what was valuable within the company, what he could do to provide value to the people, and and make himself a pivotal part of the company. I, I I would say is you know you could take it that far and say that, and like, and that goes again to the humility point. Like there's a objective way to determine whether you're being valuable, and to wait, the way to figure that out is to figure out what are the people that you're serving value and are you fulfilling that you know. Do you two, uh, I think you guys complement each other very well, by the way, like as, as, uh, both brothers, but also probably friends and, and business partners too, you know, and twins. <laughs> are you, are, are you guys twins? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. one's got long hair ones, though I can see. And then the other one's got a, the beard a little bit more built out. Uh, when's your, when's your guys' birthday? Uh, November 30th, 1996. All right. Wow. 96. Dude, bro, you guys are way, way, way ahead of your time um what uh what do you guys have coming up anything that you want to share that that's coming up and that you're excited about well yeah so i'm working on uh i'm working on basically two brands and this ties to the original thing i was talking about with trying to grow sales for the socks manufacturing company Mm -hmm. um but it also ties to like my um kind of natural aesthetic tastes as like a creative person um you know I am inspired a lot by fashion, but it's like streetwear fashion, brands like Off-White yep. uh, and also high luxury brands like Louis Vuitton and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would say that I'm I'm not like, you know, I'm not there yet, uh, but, you know, obviously it's like a big learning and iterative process. And I'm trying to figure out like that, that quote that you said, what is that like, what is that central uh, piece of value that you can uncover for the industry um, that people can see as a a new fresh thing that uh, that that they can all you know connect to and cl- and cling on to. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping to uh, launch 
the season one of uh, streetwear brand, women's luxury streetwear brand, also unisex, uh, which is called Kosha. And I'm planning to launch that uh, in September or October, depending on how quickly I can make everything come together. And then also um, I'm launching a socks a brand. This is like because of the whole uh, thing I talked about with that Nordic socks company, I see a big opportunity. Like there's a lot of SEO, uh, you know, search volume behind words like Nordic socks. And uh, I, I see an opportunity to, to just create the best product in that market. And so that's, that's the other project that I'm working on. And I also plan to launch that around the same time, September, October. That's incredible. I, I'm going to, uh, Ronnie, we'll have you talk here in a second. I was just going to say, you come back on and you talk about all this stuff as it launches and, you know, however the, uh, my community can support and purchase and, you know, uh, follow, like, subscribe, whatever. When that's ready, that's what we'll do. You'll come back on. We'll have a, we'll have a conversation about everything you're learning, you know, in real time about launching those two brands. I think I just wanted to put that out there. That, that'd be really cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. As, as for me, I guess what's up next. Um, I, I'm going to continue, you know, working in the world of venture. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm especially excited about just, you know, continuing to meet more uh, young people who I find inspiring myself and, um, you know, help guide them into, um, you know, the crazy world that they could potentially jump into. You know, my favorite thing is like just finding young people who are at the idea stage and, you know, um, having seen so many ideas come to fruition, having the luxury to have done so over the past couple of years. You know, I've, I've learned a lot of things and uh, I've met a lot of people. Um, and yeah, just sharing that perspective and, you know, um, helping uh, these people, you know, find out how to, you know, how to move quickly and who to talk to and how to think about things like, you know, raising venture capital or, um, you know, how to productize ideas um, is something I'm super passionate about. So yeah, even if, you know, if any, even if anyone on your podcast, like, you know, has a business or something like, I'm, you know, I'm not a very scary person. You could just, you know, message me and I'd love to have a conversation and help you figure out, you know, what's, what's going on and how you can help um, the world. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. And the cool thing is I'll vet them and be like, only if you're really serious. If you're really serious, I'll put you in touch with Rodney. If you're really serious, I'm like, <laughs> and usually, yeah. usually they are. Cause they're, you know, we get, we, I get some on here that are like, you know, they're in that, you know, three to 10 million range and they're doing well and they're, and they're, there's demand, but like they're, you know, Sometimes that comes out because, you know, they're very honest conversation like, well, and, you know, we're trying to figure out how to meet that demand. <laughs> I'm like, All right, no problem, no problem. Call Rodney real quick. He'll uh, you know, he'll set you straight. You know, if, if you know, if it makes sense, of course, because, you know, I I think it's I also like that the fact that you're very giving of information, too, because I think that that I, I, I think that's part of our you know, our assisting people on like, hey, I may not be able to do the venture but like let me help let me help let me help like and i think that that again goes back to the whole integrity conversation and, and character which you two obviously exhibit so you know that's cool man where, where can everybody guys find you guys on online yeah sure um uh, on instagram you can uh just type in zero x rodney mm -hmm. and uh you can find me there stan who where where are you online i, I did like, so I you can find me on instagram also i don't really have like much there yet i mean it's stan yes and uh, if you want, you can you can add me on LinkedIn. Also, Stan Yesa, and and uh, I'd love to. I'd love uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, feel free to either message me on either of those platforms or email me at sesup at gmail.com. I also like really want to help people out 
uh, with their paths. Cause I feel like in the end, we're all in this together. And so I also love to have conversations with people who, you know, are, are open to, uh, you know, developing something, you know. I mean, you two could run a small country. You've got tech, <laughs> currency, blockchain, fashion, manufacturing, distribution. <laughs> Am I missing something? <laughs> Operations. You're all right. Yeah, so interior design business. <laughs> interior design, home, you know. <laughs> Just add mortgages and I think you guys are cool. Use crypto for yeah. mortgages or whatever, but uh, in incredible, man. I, I listen. I actually really, really enjoy this. We're we're doing good. We're at almost an hour thirty. So you haven't dethroned the longest, but you're pretty close. You're pretty close. An hour and twenty seven minutes. Uh, this was actually it was an incredible, incredible episode. You guys, as I said, you're welcome back on any time. I always tell everybody that comes on because it's a journey driven podcast. But I feel like we'll have like a lot of different conversations in general, and it's not limited to just one. Like come back on as much as you want. Um, to talk about these things, I think that, you know, um, helping everybody else out, like realize that this is a beautiful time, it's a mind thing sometimes. Other times it's like, you know, just giving them, like say, you don't need the permission, you gotta just go. Um, or, you know, access to, you know, who you guys are and, and knowing what you guys can offer them as well too, all, everything of all the above. So you guys are welcome back on anytime, man. Yeah, I will definitely take you up on it. We'll yeah, chat awesome. again soon. Absolutely. I feel like we, you, Ronnie, you, you know, the two of you, and then you could have Naval sit like in between you. And I'd, love to, <laughs> I'd love to see, I'd love to see you go back and forth between you and Naval and be like, well, I think this, and I think that. <laughs> you gotta make it happen though. Yeah, it'd, it'd be yeah. fun. I don't know how I'd like go about, you know, roping him into it, but I mean, we, <laughs> no. earlier, it's he's probably, a, it probably just starts with reaching out. <laughs> right. I know. He's, he's a, he's a very busy individual, but, and, and I, I will say, um, yeah, I, when he talked, uh, the the book that Eric Jorgensen did, right, they compiled all the, the almanac of Naval. That was a uh, was incredible. I I kept posting uh, stories all of uh, last fall on my uh, on Instagram. My God, like so it became like a thing where like everybody started sending me um, uh, DMs of like this book, right, this book, right, or like, hey, look what I got, look what I got. I was like, amazing, and they're like, man, I see why you really like this because I kept putting like the little clips on there, or whatever, from his book or from his his verbiage but that eric compiled so really great stuff yeah so. yeah he's a he's a really inspirational guy yeah. um i can share a, a fun short story about uh Nibble, yeah. if anyone wants to hear yes uh, uh you know close things off on a fun note um yeah while i was working there i mean uh sometimes you know uh, he'd come in to the office and we would just play like smash bros and um you know just just so everyone knows his uh his go-to character is bowser and um, the way he plays Smash is, uh, you know, pretty interesting because I mean, I'm I'm not you know the best. I'm I'm more of like a PC gamer. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you know, he he plays Bowser, and if if he has you know more lives than you, he, he's just gonna pick you up and throw you off the edge alongside with him, which is I think a very fun and analytical and like you know risk based way of uh, mm. playing playing Smash. And so um, I think it's like a perfect character for him, and he's actually pretty good, and he kicked my ass. So. Um, a, yeah. a multidisciplinary rational thinker you know <laughs> i have more lives than you so i have more to spare let's do this together <laughs> i'm throwing you off the real deal everybody <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible awesome well uh you guys uh, sit back uh for one second we'll, we'll we'll chat offline here in a second but for everybody listening rodney yes up stan yes up you can find um exo rodney Zero X Rodney. Zero yeah. X, yeah. Oh, sorry. Zero X Rodney. Zero X Rodney on Insta. Stan Yesup on Instagram. Uh, reach out to them. DM them. Just, I would say, you know, everybody's really busy. So, you know, like 
go easy on these guys. Uh, you know, I, I know, I know they'll probably get back right away, but uh, don't have that expectation is what I'm telling everybody, <laughs> you know, but that's why we're all building one giant community on here. That's the whole point. So, um, and if you guys have any questions, you know, just reach out and ask them or you can reach out and ask me. I could do a group text if need be, but, um, really appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Um, you guys, it really means a lot. All the, um, the ratings and review mean a lot. Please keep them coming in because, you know, as we do still live in a platform world, um, in order to get more views, sometimes, uh, at least in the discover engine ratings and reviews help on Apple. So, and you can't rate and review on Spotify, but we love you there anyways. Uh, so for, thank you for tuning in, uh, for Stan and, and Rodney Yesa for myself, my Gosman for hustled separately. We are out.